Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. The world of darkness. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! The one hope. The only hope. The exorcist. Excellent day for an exorcism. Welcome back to the Essential Films Podcast, a podcast devoted to the discussion of the greatest movies ever made or the essential films. I'm Adolfo Acosta, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Mark Espinosa. How are you doing today, sir? I'm pretty good because the uh, the power of Christ compels me to be here today. Power of Christ compels you to be here. Also, you know, the the fact that we have to get this uh, episode up and out by Halloween, that, that compels us too. A little bit, yeah, you gotta say. <laughs> Um, so as, as we, uh, are hinting, our episode today is going to focus on The Exorcist. It is our, uh, special Halloween episode. Uh, last year we did Halloween itself, uh, the John Carpenter 1978 film, which, by the way, um, according to the stats that I, I've, uh, I looked up most recently, it is our most popular episode, is the Halloween episode. Well, um, this, this is about to be eclipsed, I think. Number two, very close behind it, is Star Wars, which was a pretty recent episode. So, um, yes. that, that's, um, that's Halloween still the still the reigning champ currently um but before we get to that uh just kind of wanted to catch up it's been a little bit since we since last talk how have you been what have you been up to i know that you just had another outing at uh the famous alamo draft house yet another outing at alamo yet yeah, just last night as of this recording i actually went to a screening of Shaun of the dead which is freaking awesome it was really good to be able to see that movie with an audience and, you know, it's, what a great movie. Uh, hopefully we can discuss it here at some point because it, it really is like rewatching it again. Like I haven't seen it in a while and rewatching it again really drove up my appreciation for that movie. It's such such a brilliant movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Uh, it's it's um, it's such a fantastic combination of comedy and uh, horror and even romance, The as they call it, the rom-coms um. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's a it was a fun film. What I liked about that film was that, like, with a lot of comedy horror stuff, it's either kind of mostly comedy or mostly horror. I felt like this that movie's a, a pretty good balance, um, where like the, it's a it's a very effective zombie movie, but it's also really funny. Oh, absolutely! And it's just the way that it's able to mesh all those different genres into like a very satisfying and fulfilling entertaining story is just you know i was just so just watching it this 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 time here at alamo was just 
such an amazing time. And it, 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 like I said, it really grew my appreciation for that movie even more. Like, I think Edgar Wright could do no wrong, man. I mean, I don't think he's made a bad film yet. Um, let me think. Uh, Shaun of Dead was his first film. I know he did some TV in the UK, but I, I, right. I, Shaun of Dead was his first feature, right? Correct. So let's see. He also did uh, Hot Fuzz, which is good. World's End, I liked, but I didn't love. Um, what else did he do? Uh, Baby Driver, obviously. Uh, Scott Pilgrim. And Scott Pilgrim, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for the most part, all, all good movies. The World's End, I think, is the weakest one. but um, Yeah. But but it's still a good movie. It's or, wait, just it, not or is it? This is the end. There. I always got those confused. Yeah. It's the world. Uh, the right? world's end. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it's the weakest one, but it's still pretty good. Um, I, I I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but Shaun of the Dead, I think, is his crowning achievement. Absolutely, and it's just, and it was just. I got a uh, a t shirt, really cool t shirt. I'll probably put post a picture of it on the page. It's a really cool uh, Mondo design t shirt that they were giving out with your ticket. So that was a uh, that was another nice little perk for me. Uh, my next trip to Alamo will be in a couple weeks for The Shining, which is going to be awesome. Ooh, The Shining! I feel like they should have done that before Halloween. Yeah, I was hoping they would do it for October, but I guess they couldn't fit it in with all the other October stuff they were doing. So they pushed it to, like the week after Halloween, which is weird. Like it's literally the Tuesday after Halloween. Hmm, that's weird. I feel like that. Yeah, I feel like it should have been on Halloween. And I do want to announce here because because you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna pop for this, bro. I today I officially booked another trip to Alamo on the Monday after Thanksgiving, which is I believe the 28th or the 27th of November for the room, bro. Oh, I would love to do that. <laughs> is it? Are they trying to tie it in with um with the disaster, disaster artist? artist? Yeah, man, I want to see the disaster artist so bad. That looks so that, awesome. That trailer bro. looks amazing. Uh, and, and James Franco really does look like um, he does, Tommy bro. It's, it's scary good that how he looks like him. It's, oh, it lo- it's it crazy. Looks, it looks so good. Um, well, that's cool. Uh, the Shining. Um, watching that in a on a big screen. I've never I've never seen The Shining on a big screen. I think that'd be kind of a fun watch. Oh, definitely, definitely. And then the the T shirt for that film is the uh, the original Saul Bass artwork for the poster. It's a yellow T-shirt with the uh, with the Saul Bass artwork, and it's awesome. Nice. Um, so I, I've been uh, watching a few things too. I uh, it's as we were talking about, it is Halloween. I've been catching up a few of my Halloween favorites. I watched um, just today. I watched The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, nice. I, so I was kind of watching it ahead of time to see if I could show it to my daughter yet, and I was like, mm, not yet. I think it still might be a little too scary for her because uh, there's some kind of like. I mean, for, like, a 37-year-old man, it's nothing. But, like, for, like, a two-year-old girl, it still might be a little rough. So, uh, I, but it's still it's still charming film. Um, the other kind of two big movies I watched recently were The Thing and Alien. Uh, I did those back-to-back one night because I was bored. And nice. Those two now, movies. Now, for The Thing, I'm actually going to see that at Alamo on November 10th, I think, is my ticket. Nice. Again, so they're giving out Halloween, they're, man. They're giving out a T-shirt for that, too. Oh, which nice. is the uh, the new Mondo artwork by by Jock, which is one of their artists, did a really cool uh, the thing poster, and they put it on a t shirt. So nice, um, yeah, Ben. Both those movies, it's just kind of it's fun how it's funny how those movies don't age because you watch both either one of those movies, and they, I mean, they're one's been in the seventies, one in the early eighties, uh, and they don't feel dated at all. 
Oh, no, absolutely. Like, you, you watch those movies, and this feels like, you know, something that could have come out today. Like, it's just... It, it, it ages like fine wine, I like to say. Um, now, the thing, I mean, I love that movie. The issue is I, I, I have trouble watching it because of the dog. So yeah, like, I really that, don't that's like a little that rough. part. That's a little yeah. rough. But I, 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 I get, I kind of deal with it because, like, the by the time the dog turns, spoilers, the time the dog turns into the thing, it's like, well, it's clearly like a puppet. And it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not realistic. <laughs> So right. it, it doesn't bother me too much, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the poor dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's one one other movie I kind of want to throw out there that I watched. It's kind of a wacky choice. Um, I, I heard about this film. Have you ever heard of the movie WNUF Halloween Special? What the hell is that? <laughs> okay. So it's this movie. It's a gimmick movie, right? It's yeah. a movie. It's kind of like a found footage film. Um, but it's a it's a movie that its premise is that it's like a lost videotape of a local news station's Halloween special where really? the local news crew uh, went to like a supposedly haunted house uh, as like a, a Halloween special. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like takes place in like the 1980s and it's filmed on like old school videotape. Not and I'm not talking like. You know how sometimes you you'll see like movies now and they they you know, they shoot something and they pretend it's digital or sorry they they pretend it's VHS by like adding effects to it to make it look like VHS. This is legitimately shot on like a VHS camera, like camcorder, right? So oh, it looks nice. it looks horrible, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's like a found footage film, and it's so it's like the basically the entire newscast for about an hour, like an hour and change. And, uh, it, like, the first 20 minutes is, like, a newscast. But, like, the anchor – it's kind of – it's supposed to be kind of funny, too. So it doesn't take itself too seriously. So it's horror and comedy a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And it takes place in the 80s. So, like, all the – so the news anchors are at this, like, 80s news desk. And they have, like, 80s hair and stuff. And they uh, they are both wearing, like, Halloween outfits, you know. And, like, and it's, like, really cheesy the way, like, local news is. Uh, and they they cut to commercials, and they have, like, all these fake 80s-type commercials. And then they go into, like, the actual, like, uh, exploring the haunted house thing. And then, that, you know, everything goes south from that. But uh, it's actually kind of a fun little movie. Uh, it's streaming. I forget where I saw it. It may have been Hulu. It may have been Shudder. I can't remember. But it is, it's out there streaming if you can find it. Um, it it's a very fun little movie. It, it's really short. It won't take much, much of your time. But I, I found it kind of enjoyable. That sounds very wacky. Something that I would it's like. It's really to. wacky. I mean, it's like you should if you you can find the trailer on YouTube. You watch the trailer on YouTube. You'll see what what it's going for. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's really it's kind of fun. I, I, nice. I, I recommend it. I mean, it's not it's not going to change life. It's not like the, an amazing horror movie or anything. But it's 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 a fun like hour and change. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I'll definitely seek that out then. All right, so uh, let, let's let's uh, kind of move into our main topic here. Let's talk about uh, the Exorcist. Um, as we always do, I kind of like to take the kind of take a little bit of the history of, of, of each of our associations with this movie. Uh, when did you first experience this movie? Uh, this was definitely at some point in my college years. It must have been like maybe my third or fourth year, which is when I started getting into movies the way I am now, and. Oh, everybody was talking about, oh, The Exorcist is the scariest movie ever. Exorcist is the scariest movie ever. And I even heard this from my own family, especially my mother, who I think, I believe she told me this was my one of my grandfather's favorite movies. And it's just, she remembers seeing it the first time and it just completely freaked her out. And she has trouble, like, watching it 
she's had trouble watching it ever since. So I was like, oh, I have to see this now. So I uh, I seeked it out. I forgot how I saw it. I, I might have been maybe I rented it from the library at, at school. And then I just put it into my DVD player and my laptop during one of my uh, breaks during class. And I just gorged in that. And it was just holy cr- – like it's it's really shocking – seen it the first time because like the stuff that happens in there you're just you you don't expect it and it's a lot of it is like blasphemous stuff and it's it's so like shocking the first time that you're just taken aback by it and then you know as you kind of get deeper into the story you know it, it really gets good like after like the first like 30 minutes because the thir- first 30 minutes is just basically like setting everything up but once you get past like that thirty minute mark, like for the rest of the whole two hour t- uh, running time, it's just nonstop, nonstop action, nonstop like you know, great storytelling, and uh, I really got a kick out of it. And I remember, I think it was a couple years ago, like maybe three years ago, that the uh, the Blu-ray came out, the the anniversary Blu-ray, and I I picked that sh- that movie up quick. I remember it was uh. It was uh, it was pretty pricey the first time it came out, so I waited for the Amazon sale for it. I think like maybe six months after it came out, like it was on sale for like thirty bucks, and I picked that up like right away. And that's what I watched to uh, to get ready for this. But I mean, what a classic, man! Yeah, it is absolutely classic. Um, much like you, I didn't see this film until later in life, which is probably a good thing because I don't know if I could have handled it earlier. Um, and um, I had always known about its reputation. I'd always heard about it. Um, and actually, I watched – I used to watch <laughs> – and we'll talk about this movie a little later. Uh, but I used to watch the movie Repossessed a lot when I was a kid. Uh, nice. Not getting any of the jokes, just you know, watching it as like a goofy, wacky comedy. Um, and uh, and I kind of never saw the film until I, – I, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, in 2004, got a Netflix account. And, you know, I started going through all, like, the classic movies that I know I should watch. The Exorcist came up as one of them. And uh, I waited for, like, Halloween to roll around before I watched it. And, yeah, so I watched it the first time. I was probably 24, 25, so we're looking at about 13, 14 years ago. And um, I was not prepared for that. I thought, to me, you know, it had a reputation as the scariest movie of all time. But, you know, I, I was, you know, 25 years old. I was like, eh, how scary can it be? I can handle it or whatever. And right. uh, I sat there in broad daylight. I watched it in the middle of the afternoon. And I remember just sitting there, like, with my mouth open by the end of the film, like, all right, w- what did I just witness? <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm, I think it's been documented on this show that I'm not a particularly religious person, uh, but I did grow up Catholic. So a lot of the imagery and the, you know, and a lot of the, um, the blasphemous stuff that happens within the film, even though I'm not religious anymore that still kind of sticks with you a little bit. So you're it, like the whole concept of like a demon or the devil still kind of freaks you out. So uh, it, it was, st- it still kind of messed me, messed me up a little bit. So um, yeah, I'd say about 13, 14 years ago, was the first time I watched it. And um, on a first time viewing, I, I was pretty, I was pretty jarred by it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's well, we'll get to it. I'm sure when we do, when we go to the film, but like, you know, where you have, the crucifix let's just say penetrating something that's yeah. just oh, yeah that's that, that, that's the scene like, that loves like i'm so going to hell for seeing this yeah stuff. that's the scene that that uh that messed me up a bit <laughs> um 
And and also, it's that no, that's where she is either right before or right after that, where she goes, "Do you know what she did, your daughter?" Yeah. Uh, anyway. Oh man. So um, so, so quick uh, synopsis. We'll get into the plot beat by beat in a second here, but the clip. A quick uh, overview of this film. Uh, it's about a young girl named Reagan who happens to get possessed by the devil, or Pazuzu, uh, as some people call him, uh, or at least someone who claims to be the devil. Uh, it's a demon, and this demon turns a sweet little Reagan into a foul mouth. Uh, head-spinning, bed-levitating, green liquid vomiting nightmare. Uh, two priests are called upon to exorcise a demon, Father Karras, who doubts his faith because of his recently deceased mother, and Father Marin, a frail and elderly priest who has battled the demon before. Uh, both of these men of God have to fight the ultimate evil to save a girl's life. Uh, it was released on December 26, 1973, so a nice Christmas movie, uh, directed by William Friedkin <laughs> uh, and produced and, uh, and written by William Peter Blatty, based on uh, his book, The Exorcist, uh, written by himself as well, um, stars Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, Lee J. Cobb, Jason Miller, and Linda Blair. Um, so that, that's, those are the quick stats on, on The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. It's, and uh, I don't know if you if, well, once we get into like the, the production, like the whole all the crazy stuff that started happening, like yeah. on the set. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get definitely get to that. that. Um so the book, uh, so the movie's based on a book by by uh, Blatty himself, uh, and he uh, based uh, and his he based his book on a, apparently a supposedly real life exorcism in 1949 of a of a boy named Roland Doe, um, and I, throughout the um, production, uh, apparently Friedkin had access to like the documents and the. Uh, diaries of the family of, of Roland Doe and used a lot of that uh, in kind of the preparation for the film as well. Um, now, a lot of people, including myself, who is a hardcore skeptic, uh, feel that these, this, the exorcism, which is one of the only documented cases of exorcism at the time that the, um, the Catholic Church approved at the time, um, was basically – the people, just based on the documents and the facts, think that it was basically just a, a mentally ill kid – who was acting yeah. out, um, but, you know, the, it, back then, you know, mental health wasn't as advanced as it is now, so, you know, he, they thought he was possessed by a demon. Um, but uh, Friedkin kind of takes the, if you listen to the commentary, and you're right, I was listening to the commentary a little bit before we got started, he does kind of sound like a more educated Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying, bro. Friedkin, <laughs> it, it creeped me out a little bit. But if you listen to it, he's a little, I think he kind of is more in the believer side of things. Like, yeah, I think he more buys into this stuff than than uh most people do yeah he definitely seemed like that too when i when because before the uh the movie he does the intro for the 25th anniversary of the film he talks about like the film's themes and about the whole good versus evil battle and i think you know just the way he kind of like you know talked about the subject matter i i, I kind of agree with you that he i think he's more on on the believer side yeah um and he and he's which is interesting because he's kind of a. uh I don't think he's a, uh, an atheist per se, but he's definitely not religious. But he buys into this for some reason. This stuff, yeah. Um, so I think is interesting. Um, uh, Blatty uh, had a producer credit on the film, and he owned the rights to the book. Um, and so he had a lot of say in. in the, I was going to say, yeah, he uh, started making casting choices and all that wacky stuff. Yeah, um, and you know, but which is in and of itself a good thing though, because he was the one who insisted on Friedkin. 
directing the film. It, initially, like the studios didn't uh, didn't want him, and I think he used um, the French connection as as his basis because he wanted a, a f- the film to have a a more like energetic vibe, like the French Connection did. Right, right, and you know, and I hate to brag again. I hate to bring this back to Alamo Drafthouse. That's one of the films I saw there recently too on the big screen. And I mean, that's another classic. I mean, William Freakin that just has an awesome body of work, and you have the the, the one two punch of the French Connection and The Exorcist. I mean, that's that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, those are two two of the the best movies of the seventies, right there. I'd say like top ten movies of the seventies are those two right there. Uh, excellent films. Um, and <laughs> and you know, just like in The French Connection, where he was willing to. Uh, basically drive a car down the street illegally to get the shot, <laughs> the shots right. for that car chase. Uh, oh, like to go I know to where you're going with this. Here in, uh, in, in the Exorcist production to, to kind of get some of the shots that he wanted out of this film um, in a way that um, maybe a little, uh, maybe crosses the line a little. Well, let's talk about how this, this guy, this, <laughs> let's just say our boy Billy, bro, he built a set in a freezer just so he could get the uh, the shots of the breath as they're talking in the uh, in Reagan's room. And <laughs> can you imagine? And it required the the crew to have to wear like parkas and winter gear while they're filming the scene. I mean, if if the crew had to wear gear, can you imagine being a uh, our boy Von Sydow and 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 Miller or Linda Blair <laughs> without wear? It was just in a little night nightgown. Exactly. Like, I mean, I guess she still has a blanket, but still. But still, man. <laughs> oh yeah, that that crazy. <laughs> and you know, now you can just put that breath in digitally, right? But yeah. exactly. <laughs> but you know, but where's the fun in that? Yeah, but no, you have to you have to get them feeling cold on that set. Like he had to do it. And uh, now there's there's always you know this movie has a has like a uh, uh, a a reputation uh, of being a cursed production and. Um, it, w- with that kind of th- curse production, there's some things that are legendary and some things that are kind of myth, and you don't know which sometimes which is a, a kind of just a story that's kind of taken a life of its own or what. But along with the uh, the keeping that uh, them in the freezer, uh, apparently some crew members like later went on to say it was so cold that uh, actually started to kind of snow inside the thing, which I I think is a <laughs> little much. I think, it, but I think it's still kind of funny. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, Ellen Burstyn said the same thing. I, I, yeah, think, I think she may have said her. it too. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, th- I think it's one of those things where like it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Yeah, I think so too. But she said uh, because of that, she can't stand the cold weather anymore. Yeah, well, I, like yeah. whenever it snows, like she she just like she thinks of that. She remembers uh, the set, and <laughs> it brings back bad memories. Um. So, another now I don't. There are a lot of other things that he did. Uh, to get reactions out of out of uh, out of the actors, but I think maybe uh, we go into those whenever we actually talk about those scenes in the film. Um, but uh, a couple of the things I wanted to mention here um, are the uh, uh, is the is the uh, the voice of Reagan once she's possessed, uh, played by Mercedes McCambridge, who is an Oscar-winning actress, by the way, for a movie called uh, All the King's Men, which is a pretty decent movie from the forties, uh, who played. Um, uh, after that, after Linda Blair's possessed, she plays her voice during the uh, during the possession. Yes, yes, and uh, I, I I hear. I mean, uh, this was just like 
basically a minor blurb when I was researching, but apparently, like, Friedkin didn't really like working with her. So when they did the, uh, when they had to record the dub lines for the TV version, like, he did the voice himself because he didn't want to work with her anymore. Right. Like, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> um, I don't know. Probably just being a jerk. I mean, you know how some some uh, some directors can be. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's kind of get into the to the meat of the uh, meat of the story here. Um, as I said, it, it's a it's a film, obviously about a little girl that gets possessed. The film itself starts off in Iraq uh, with uh, Father Marin, an old an older priest played by Max von Sydow, who's who's kind of. A, I guess he's retired, but he's, he's kind of like an archaeologist now. He's like digging in ancient ruins and stuff in Iraq and finding different things. He finds a couple of little, little, uh, I don't know what you call them, like little carvings of uh, uh, demons, like, I guess. It, it, like little it, it, deep, uh, ancient demons, deities, whatever you want to call yeah. them. Uh, and it kind of uh, it kind of foreshadows the fact that you know he's going to be called back to this. I think I think you're supposed to kind of get a the vibe that. Um, he he knows that evil has like risen again, and he's coming. And he has to go back to 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 fight it, you know. Yeah, and then they they have the uh, the shot of, of I guess he's taking his pills and like he's shaking the entire. Life. At first, I thought he was taking some sort of like ecstasy or drugs when I first saw. It. I was like, what is this guy on something that he keeps shaking? But then when I realized, okay, like I, you don't realize it the first like the first second, but as the film progresses and you see, you know. Oh, he knows something's up. That you know, evil is rising again. And then when it manifests, and you know, at the end when he has to perform the exorcism on Reagan, that's when you like, you have to you can go back on the rewatch and be like, oh, see, he knows already what was something's going down. Yeah, and it's um, listening to the commentary track, and like you know, I always just thought it was like, oh, they're heart pills because you know he's holding his heart, he's taking the pills. Uh, apparently, uh, according to Friedkin, they are they are nitroglycerin pills, which. Uh, after doing some quick research, is apparently used for uh, open. It, it's a very quick way to open up your blood vessels to uh, to like push more blood through. Um, and you're supposed to take it like when you're starting to feel like chest pain or things like that. Because gotcha. basically, you know, because when you have a heart attack, your 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 vessels can constrict and stuff. So if you take this, it opens everything up and it it kind of stops that. So. Um, that's that's what he's taking. Uh, right. I always just kind of was like, oh, they're just medicine, but that's that's actually what it is, that, or that's what it's supposed to be. Um, so that it's kind of this little prologue that whenever you watch the movie for the first time, you're not really quite sure what it has anything to do with the rest of the film. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it it's very slow. Like around. for first time viewers, I've noticed that like it, it, that whole beginning part is very slow because you don't really know what's going on. Yeah, yet. it's like ten minutes long too. It's not. It's not a short. It's, like you said, it's not a short scene. It's, it's it, right. it takes its time. It's a good chunk of the first opening. Um, so then, uh, oh, before we get to that, one thing I, I kind of wanted to mention is uh, Max von Sydow's makeup here in this film is kind of amazing because he he in this film he was about forty years old, forty five years old, something like that. But the makeup is so effective that in this film he looks like what he looks like now. You know, like, That's what I'm saying. like he, 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 so for the longest time, uh, I thought Max von Sydow was just an old man in that movie. And as the, you know, as years went by, I'm like, wait a minute, Max von Sydow has to be dead. How is he not dead yet? And then I like looked it up uh, one day and I was like, oh, wait, he's just really young in that movie. And they, the makeup made it. I never like that was how convincing the makeup was. It doesn't look like makeup. <laughs> he hasn't aged a day since the exorcist. Yeah, right. Essentially. <laughs> um, according to uh, you know some of the research I did, it, he actually had more makeup on than Linda Blair did. 
Really? Yeah, which is kind of interesting. That is interesting. Because hers is more theatrical. His was supposed to be more natural and, and looked a little more. So I guess, like, if you're – it's easier to look crazy as opposed to something that's supposed to look realistic. Yeah, you pretty know? much. So I thought that was um... – and speaking of makeup, uh, if, if you've ever watched this film – and the first time I watched this film, it freaked me out. Uh, the little subliminal pop-ups every now and then of uh, of a white-faced, like, demon um, – uh, people tend to have called him uh, Captain Howdy because that's what Linda Blair calls the right. calls, calls him. Um, but uh, apparently, it was just makeup tests um, that they had for the Linda Blair makeup, and uh, he decided to add those in subliminally just to freak people out uh, because he didn't think they were good enough for you know the the actual makeup for Linda Blair, but he thought they were good enough to freak people out for one frame of a film, which is actually pretty <laughs> effective. When you're just watching it and you don't expect it and you see like this little white face pop up, it just kind of freak you out. Yes. Yeah. Cause I was watching, I remember watching it the first time and seeing that, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of like in fight club when you see the little oh, yeah. pop-ups of uh, Brad Pitt. Yeah. That's yeah, what absolutely. I got like uh, the, what it was, rem- I was reminiscing about that when I when I was watching Exorcist for the first time. I was seeing those uh those pop ups, and I think it, there's a trailer that they did with just the flash images of those shots, which I, is pretty cool actually. It's, the, it's very uh very a uh, seizure inducing. I think isn't that like the band trailer, the one they had to like to get a, take out? I yeah. There was one of that it, was like that, and they had like took it out of theaters because like the the studios were like, mm, you can't. This is too much for people. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was scared. I was going to get a seizure watching it, bro, because it's on the extras and the, on the Blu-ray. Yeah, it's so. a freaky trailer. It's a it's, yeah. it's a freaky trailer. Um, but the, yeah, so the film uh, kind of goes into it from we start the actual story at that point. Uh, it's in Georgetown in in, in DC. Uh, we have um, Chris McNeil, who's a uh, played by Catherine uh, Ellen Burstyn, not Catherine Burstyn, Ellen Burstyn. Um, she's an actress, uh, and, uh, in town to play a part, uh, in some, like, movie. They don't really ever go into, like, what movie it is. It's, like, apparently just takes place at a college campus. Um, and, uh, you know, she's there with her daughter, Reagan. Uh, she's kind of separated from her husband, and, uh, she's just kind of there. She can kind of get the feeling that this movie she's on is, like, she's just, like, a jaw. She doesn't really care about it, but she's got to live there in, in Georgetown, and, Brought her daughter along, brought her like maid and her assistant and everything along, and and uh, this is kind of what her life is like that right now. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, you know, she's living in uh in, in Georgetown. She's getting her movie done, and uh, uh, we get to know Reagan a little bit when she. I think she is from that the beginning scene where she's coming home. You know, she says hi to uh, what's her name, Sharon, which I guess is like the nanny or what, like the caretaker of the house or whatever. And uh, and then we get to know Reagan a little bit. You know. And, you know, after I think it's after the the Ouija board, she 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 plays with the Ouija board. And apparently that's when uh, Captain Howdy first shows up and who uh, and then Reagan starts acting a little weird after that. Yeah, uh, they play with that Ouija board it, it, like uh, Chris uh, feels it move. She's like, hey, what are you doing? You know, and she's like, I didn't do that. You know, and then, the classic Ouija thing. Right. Um which I, I've never played with a Ouija board. I've never actually played with one. No, no, I've never done that. It's because not, nobody I, I knew ever owned it. Yeah, me, me neither. Like, I, it's not out of like scare, like being scared because I don't believe in that stuff. But it's, it's, uh, it's just I've never had the like. There's nobody ever had one. But I always see it in movies and stuff. There's a whole movie franchise based on it. But I never, yeah. uh, I've never actually played with one. 
I was gonna. That has a fifty percent success rate right now. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, she she talks about uh, this Captain Howdy, who's like kind of like an imaginary friend, uh, or that's what Chris thinks anyway. Uh, and uh, apparently not very nice because he doesn't say that her, his mother's pretty. Her mother's pretty. Um, and uh, she kind of just doesn't really pay too much attention to it at first. Uh, she kind of just kind of ignores it for a little bit, but it, it, it's kind of the sign of things to come. Yes, yes, because then, like, like I said, she starts acting a little weird. You know, she starts, like, making these random noises out of nowhere. She starts using foul language. You know, she, uh, she starts stealing, and then, uh, you know, eventually it kind of, like, the, the whole, like, peak of that before things get really bad is when uh she comes downstairs during uh chris's party that she's having and she tells that astronaut you're gonna die up there (laughs) and uh and then she starts uh urinating on the floor so after that happens that's when uh we get uh we get the 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 first bed shake i think right is after that uh i think so because that happens before she gets first taken to the doctor Cause then, cause right now, yeah, you're right. Chris thinks exactly. he's just you're right. sick. You're right. You're right. That does happen before she takes the doctor. Um, but before you get to that scene, you're you're also kind of taking on this parallel story of uh, Damian Karras, who is this priest. Uh, he's a psych. Uh, he's trained in psychology, so he like went to school for psychology. He's a priest, uh, and you get the the whole story of him kind of. Uh, he's got a very sick mother, you know, um, she, he, she's, she's dying. She's very proud of him cause he's a priest or whatever, but she's, she's dying. And, uh, he's got, a, he's got a crisis of faith. He lives, his mother lives in the very like ramshackle neighborhood. He's, you know, there's homeless guys asking him for money. Uh, he just kind of sees the world in like a very dark kind of place. And, he, and his faith is kind of shaken right now, which is, I think a really good way to set up that character. Um, right. For a story arc later. Cause you know, he's going to, he, obviously he's going to have to overcome that later in the film. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love the, uh, the whole, uh, the conversation he had uh, with his uncle uh, uh, when they were visiting his mother in the hospital or wherever she was. And, you know, he was telling you like, if you had gone to psychiatry on your own, you know, You'd have your own practice, you know, you'd be living in a penthouse and your mom would be well taken care of, you know, and uh, it's basically trying to make him feel guilty that he went he went into the church. Right, exactly. Um, he he has a kind of a heart to heart with another priest, tells him basically, I, I'm not really cut out for this. I'm I'm uh, I'm having this crisis of faith. It's not it's not going to work out. And it, you know, he's having this whole thing at the same time that um, it's kind of funny because the way they parallel. Because as he's losing his faith, um, the the stuff happening in the McNeil household is getting increasingly more supernatural. Yes, yes, and uh, uh, like we kind of alluded to already, you know, uh, right now at this point, Chris just thinks that maybe Reagan's sick. Something's wrong with her. We don't know exactly what. We don't suspect anything nefarious yet. But then I think when she goes to tuck her in, I think I think how how she's alerted to is I think Reagan starts screaming, and then Chris runs into the room, and the entire bed is shaking. And uh, you know, no, it's not an earthquake because she actually jumps on the bed. She gets on the bed and she feels it like literally shaking out of, you know, they don't know how it's happening, but it's shaking. And then at at that point, you know, she uh. That's when they start taking Reagan to the to the doctor to see what's up. Right. So it's at that point 
whenever they're taking they they run a bunch of they get a kind of a series of scenes where they're running a bunch of tests on him on her um including like uh i think it's called uh, well, i don't know what they do like they stick this needle in her neck or something and like all this blood squirts out and uh they they're doing stuff on her spine try to get like fluids out of there and stuff uh all sorts of things they're trying to like they could basically run her through a, a series of, of of physical and mental tests just to see like what what it could be but and after and after they get all the results back she's fine like health from completely a, from, healthy from yeah a physical standpoint she's fine so the doctor's like so the doctor thinking well it's it's it has to be mental it's a mental issue right now so um that and of course obviously the more they the more they kind of deny what's happening the sicker reagan is getting and the more desperate chris chris starts to get yes and uh i think it's at the behest of like the doctors at the end um because there's the wacky scene even right before the scene I'm talking about now where uh, the psychiatrist is with Reagan and, uh, you know, he's, he kind of hypnotizes her to try to – and, you know, the the typical psychiatrist of like what they'll try to – at least what they used to try to do is, you know, they hypnotize them and then they try to get them to answer questions in that hypnotized state. And when the psychiatrist tries to talk to the demon, the uh, the demon attacks them. And that's at that point when you, I think they realize, okay, it's, this is more than just a psychiatric problem. I think, I think uh, we got to bring out the quote unquote big guns. So that's when, uh, that's when the scene I alluded to earlier happens, where like the doctors basically, kind of skeptically, I think, because I think they kind of know it's, it's bogus because I mean they're doctors, but that's what they kind of, kind of on the slide suggest maybe getting an exorcism. Right, and they, and they and, and they kind of say it in in like a. Look, we don't believe this, but because she has this mental condition, going through the ritual of an exorcism might like jar her out of it, like out of this mental state. Like they're saying, like it's it's more of like a trick to like get her out of this state so that she be- that she believes she's being possessed by a demon, so that she'll get it out of her system, right? Exactly, um, pretty much. And that, that's kind of like what they're they're thinking is, to which of course. She, Chris McNeil's like, what are you? You guys are insane. Um, <laughs> and, but um, uh, then going back to Father Karras, uh, he's then kind of questioned because there's a scene earlier in the film where uh, there's some um, unexplained. Actually, I don't think they ever explained, but there's some unexplained like uh, vandalism done to some uh, church iconography, right? In like some right. churches and some statues and stuff, and. Um, uh, Lieutenant Kinderman, uh, played by uh, Lee J. Cobb, our, the great our boy Lee J. Lee Cobb, J. Cobb bro. from uh, our underwater front episode. Um, he, he's uh, who's hilarious, and I love the I love his performance in this movie. But um, he's he's the cop. He's, he's he wants to interview uh, Karis, who's a, as a psychology expert. And basically, this is yet to do anything with the McNeils at all. Right? By the way, he's he's still just kind of looking into this like uh, this vandalism, thinking that there's a connection to like some. Uh, uh, like satanic ritual stuff that he believes might be connected and things like that. So he's trying to get his uh, input on it. Um, and then that kind of comes back a little later uh, once Father Karras gets more involved in the, in, in the McNeil thing. But uh, the, the, that's the introduction of, of, of Kinderman and, and the relationship to Karras. Uh, I think it was, it's kind of an uh, interesting situation there. Um, right. Yeah. And I mean, he's, uh, I mean, we, we didn't talk about this either. Like he's asking him about the, uh, about the uh, the death of, of Burke Dennings, who was the director, I think, of, of Chris's movie. That but I don't think that's happened yet. That, does ha- that hasn't happened yet, does it? Has it? 
Oh, well, when he meets uh, Karis, that he's asking him about the uh, the way that he died, that they found his oh, neck like right. completely you're, turned you around. Right. You are right. That is, that has happened by that point. You're right. He had because yeah. uh, uh, she had come home because Chris had come home. I'm getting my chronology mixed up, and uh, she found that Reagan was by herself, and he, and then they later find out that Bert had uh, had uh, jumped out the window or been pushed out the window, and his neck. Uh, broken. Uh, later, we found out down the Exorcist steps, the infamous Exorcist steps, which is a real thing that you can go and visit. yes, um, and apparently people do and take pictures and stuff like that, um, which is something I would totally do if I was there. I mean, as a, as a movie nerd, I would totally do it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a movie nerd, and I I pass the um, uh, the uh, <laughs> do you know the um, the scene at the beginning of The Dark Knight where it's just uh, the Joker standing there with his mask in his hand. With the mask, the yeah. I, I pass that, like, on my way to work, like, all the time. Uh, nice. It's a, it's a, it's a corner uh, that I pass on my on my way to the office. So, uh, it's, uh, I would totally, and if I, and I think about it every time I walk by that point, so, like, I totally would, if I was in Georgetown, I would totally go to the Exorcist Steps. And it's funny you say that because um, the, uh, the, the train that I take uh, to work every day, Passes in the same tunnel that the uh, that the cops got trapped in in uh, the Dark Knight Rises. So there you go. Oh, I didn't know that they they filmed that there. Yeah, they filmed. It's a part of it. It's just basically like maybe like a two second scene, but it's a scene with them like running down into the tunnel before they get trapped in, and uh, it's the same tunnel that I, I take my train in. Oh, okay. Because I knew most of that. A lot of that movie was shot in Pittsburgh, and I grew up near Pittsburgh. And boy, do they make. Pittsburgh look a lot bigger than it actually is. Yeah, and the same thing with, with Newark. They shot a few scenes in Newark too, and uh, it looks a lot nicer than it really does. Yeah. Um. So now we get back now. Now Kinderman and the McNeil story start intersecting. Uh, he goes to interview um, uh, Chris McNeil about about the accident. Uh, starts asking about you know all sorts of different questions. He notices like the little demonic little statues that she has uh, that Reagan has um, that she's like kind of sculpted and stuff. And uh, you know he can tell you can tell that he's kind of formulating something in his mind. He knows there's a connection to the death of Bert Denny's there, but he doesn't really know how it fits all together. He knows there's something to do with the 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 vandalism and the the satanic stuff and his death. He's there's something going on. He just can't put it together, but he knows there's more to meet the eye here. And, and even you know when when just mentioning exorcism, he's already skeptical right off the bat. He's like you know, unless you want to take a time machine to the 16th century, I don't think anybody's going to approve an exorcism for you. Um, so you know he kind of he knows something's up, but like you say, he kind of needs to find out exactly what it is. So you know he visits with Reagan. Um, well, no, I'm talking about Kinderman to... at first. You're talking about Karis. Yes, talk about Karis. Oh, okay. Oh, you're talking about okay the the yeah. Kinderman thing where he's at the house. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then he asks her for the autograph. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he yeah. does the, uh, the the whole Carney uh, my daughter is actually for me line. So yeah. <laughs> that was funny. But like immediately after that, like immediately after Kinderman leaves, that's when the supernatural stuff really starts happening. Um, like because at oh, that point we, get, we have we get the the, the crucifix this, this scene. is the crucifix scene right uh so we as soon as she like closes the door on kinderman she hears all this stuff going on upstairs she runs up uh stuff is literally flying in the room and she is stabbing herself in the groin uh, i think that's the most pg way we can say it 
with the crucifix, yeah. uh, making it all bloody. And uh, she then shoves her mother's face into it and says, lick me, lick me. Oh. Uh, and then after <laughs> that, uh, as people are trying to run to her uh, – as people are trying to run uh, uh, to her rescue, the door slams shut. The uh, The chair kind of flies into that, blocking people from getting in. She tosses uh, Chris across the room. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, all sorts of stuff happen. Then her head spins around. Uh, so now we know, and this is why this is why I think the movie is really good. Is that for I'd say movies going in in about an hour at this point. At about this point, now we know going into it, it's a supernatural movie. But within the story, you could at that point, you could still say that there is could be a logical explanation for everything. Right, everything that's happened up until this point could be explained by some sort of natural thing, right? Even the bed shaking, she could have, you know, just summoned the strength to, like, make it vibrate, right? Right. But this is where it absolutely goes out the window and, like, no, this is supernatural. Uh, things are moving on their own. Her head's spinning around her her, her her neck. Everything, this is when stuff is crazy now. Yeah, and uh, it, it's... You know, you hear stories of the contemporary stories of the time about, you know, people like, you know, throwing up and fainting from from watching specifically like scenes like this in the movie. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it is like carny stuff, but still, like I can legitimately I can't even legitimately imagine like being in an audience in the 70s watching this and just like how how to react. Like, I remember I think I, I read a story how like theaters had to give out like barf bags people yep. seeing the movie because and, and it, it's it's funny because i saw um during the Shaun of the dead pre-show they they uh showed the trailer for the return of the living dead and they great advertised movie. it like you know that the theater would oh great movie yeah and they advertised how like the theaters would give out barf bags to the to the to people who asked for them so uh so it's like and i and i remember reading articles about the exorcist and how like theaters had barf bags handy for people if they if they requested them and it's like, you know, when you have stuff like that going on, like, I, I, I can imagine, like, how, I can imagine people actually having to use them. Yeah, it's funny, because, I, I mean, it is, this movie was kind of unprecedented in the amount of violence, profanity, um, imagery, blasphemous imagery, blood, gore, all that stuff. It, it was so disturbing to people. Um, and uh, there's a review, um, uh, if you look at Roger Ebert's original review, uh, he liked the film and he, he rated it favorably, but he, and, and remember this is a time when X ratings were still a thing. Uh, he said, it's astonishing. I don't remember the exact warning, but basically he's, he's, he's astonishing that the movie is only an R when it should have been an X. Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of, and you know what, if you look at it now in like 2017, it's, it's, it's a little messed up, but. It, it, I don't. This movie would still pass for an R now, right? Yeah, it uh, would. It, but it, it, but you haven't seen that level of uh, you know imagery before in in movies, really. At least not to a wide general audience, like the maybe on like maybe in like cult cinema, right? But n certainly not in like a major studio release that was targeted to mainstream audiences, right? Um, and so this is one of the situations where in this scene where we're going to talk about how William Friedkin is kind of a sadistic SOB. Um, <laughs> the uh, Ellen Burstyn uh, suffered a bad back injury during this during this scene uh, because she 
was basically um, jerked when she gets thrown off by Reagan, and she's jerked back. She's jerked back so hard, and she lands uh, on her back uh, on her what is it? Her coccyx. Coccyx. Yeah. Uh, when she and she got jerked so hard that whenever she lands and she screams. That take is actually Ellen Burstyn screaming in real pain. Um, that shot was actually used in the film uh, because it was so authentic because she was actually in pain, uh, which uh, it's one of those things that's like, yeah, I, that, that sounds that, that, right. That's kind of a dick thing to do, and I hate to use that word here, but like, it really is. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that uh, he... Uh... <laughs> Um, that uh, one of the many times he, he, he tried to get authentic reactions uh, for, for the scene uh, from the actors. Um, so now at this point, you know, again, absolutely this is now a supernatural thing. There's no denying it now. And this is whenever uh, she's willing to go to the priest to seek an exorcism. And that's when she reaches out to uh, Father Karras. And, uh, you know, he the, they meet up and she's basically telling him what's going on. And, you know, it, it all ends with her basically asking for an exorcism. And that's what I kind of alluded to earlier. I got my timeline mixed up as well about how, you know, if you want an exorcism, you have to take a time machine and go back to the 16th century. Um, and then, you know, like she basically pleads with him, like, please, like, at least I like, come see her. Like, I'll come see her as a psychiatrist. But, you know, I the church has to approve an exorcism, and I don't think they're going to do that, not in, not in this day and age. So that's when he starts the uh, visiting her, and that first visit already kind of sets him off because of what let's, – let's, let's not say Reagan. Let's say what the demon says. <laughs> right. Um, she, she starts um... – she starts saying uh, – she doesn't speak Latin in this scene, does she? That's the next one. Not, All right, not, but he does, she does say movie. something about his mother. Who just yes. died. And at this point, she's disgusting. She's got, like, green stuff coming out of her face. Um, but this she, is the vomit scene, I think, because it's the first meeting. Yeah, this is the first meeting. So, yeah, he, he she, she vomits on him. Again, another uh, uh, <laughs> Billy Friedkin dick uh, uh, move. Billy Friedkin dick move. <laughs> uh, supposed to the, – the, um, the vomit was supposed to hit him in the chest. Instead, it hits him right square in the face, <laughs> uh, which – uh, gives him that much more disgusted look on his face. Uh, never, <laughs> uh, and Jason Miller, by the way, um, while he was a trained actor, this was his first movie. Um, he had not been. Uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just watched. I, I just had that scene on in the background, and, and his his reaction is kind of hilarious after he gets hit in the face with that with the pea <laughs> suit because it's, it's the actual uh, face of disgust. Yeah, with Campbell <laughs> being played, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, well, I'm sorry, I already forgot what I was talking about now. Uh, Miller, like his oh, first yeah, movie, so but he's a stage his, actor. Yeah, he was a stage actor. Um, there were a couple of people that were kind of circling the role, including um, uh, I think Jack Nicholson was talked to. Jack and Nicholson, yeah. Um, and I forget who the studio was pushing at first, but uh, Friedkin kind of pushed for Jason Miller after seeing him on stage and in, in some like local production and. Uh, turned out pretty well for Miller. He got an Oscar nomination for it. So, uh, pretty. I mean, he's he's good in the film. He's very good in the film. Uh, I think uh, Stacy Keach was the one that was hired. Stacy Keach. Right? That was yeah. He was hired, and they had to buy out his contract. That's what it was. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So then. So that's the initial first meeting. He gets puked on. He, he hears about his mother. He's still kind of because he's losing his faith. He's still very skeptical about the whole thing. Right, but like it's it's the thing that you know, like the the demon mentions his mother, 
that starts kind of planting doubt that maybe wait a minute maybe this is this is legit but he's still like it's more of like an 80 20 it's it's bs you know that's how his mindset is yeah right he's now. still he's still trying to think of a logical explanation you know uh so he starts listening to some tapes of the um of the some of the things that that reagan is uh they've recorded some of reagan's kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Her, her, like mutterings or languages or whatever. Yeah. And he hears something that sounds odd. It doesn't sound like a language that he knows. So he takes it to like a, I don't know what you call him, like a language expert or something. And the guy's like, oh yeah, this, this and this isn't, uh, this is technically a language he knows. It's English. It's just spoken backwards. Uh, so he, uh, so that's whenever he again more doubt starts to seep in. Yes, and then uh, he uh, he keeps repeatedly playing back the uh, the message uh, the, the recordings in reverse, you know. And it's basically, you know, I love how like the like part of the message is like, you know, the the demon was like already it, the demon knew that Marin was going to show up eventually, so it kept seeing Marin, Marin, and then it, it, it's like, oh, oh, so that like, now it's now it's gonna that's getting real now. Yeah, but what I think is interesting that Friedkin does is he still I'm not sure what the uh what what it is cuz I feel like it should have been earlier in the film, but during the second visit with Reagan, he like sprinkles her with water and she acts like she's in pain. And then he mm-hmm. later explains to Chris is like, you know, when I told her this was holy water, she, you know, every time I hit her with it, she screamed in pain. But this is just tap water. It's nothing. It's nothing. So, so why was the demon acting like that if it wasn't actually holy water, right? So I feel right. like it would have made more sense to put that in first to try and get more, plant more doubt in your mind. But at this point, we already know that she's a demon. So why, why put that doubt in her mind? You know what I mean? Interesting, yeah. That, that maybe that, that's a, a bit of a chronological misstep. That maybe that should have gone like before all of it, like you said. And, unless it was just to continue playing with uh, with um, Karis's doubts about the whole thing, right? Because he, st- he kind of is starting to lean towards believing, especially with the tapes and everything. But that that still is kind of like kind of keeping him from fully investing. But you know, as right. we said, we 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 heard the he hears the tapes, he hears Marin, uh, and. Um, and it's shortly after that that he goes back to the house and he sees the help. Yeah, I think Sharon calls her, yeah. calls him, says, you need to come in now, but I don't want Chris to know about this. So he shows up like in the dead of night. She lets him in and they go into Reagan's room and then they kind of open up uh, her, her shirt, her blouse, whatever. And uh, on her belly, you see the uh, the words help me show up on her stomach. And that's after that, that's when there's no more doubt in uh, in Karis's mind. Right. So he goes, uh, he goes to the uh, to the Catholic Church, and he tries to, and he gets his uh, the official permission to, to get the exorcism done. And also, uh, this is when we get um, uh, Father Marin kind of back into the story. Uh, they talk about, and they kind of give you some backstory how he he was, you know, he was a priest, and he, you know, used to do exorcisms, and uh, you know, he's just the last one nearly killed him. Yeah, but uh, I mean, they say uh, he. I mean, he's the best person for the job. So, and then Karis also volunteers to uh, be the uh, his assistant during the the ritual. Right. So now this is where we get to the uh, the big um, 
big the big climax, big yeah. climax, and it, it all starts with the the infamous or not infamous, but the iconic shot of the taxi cab pulling up to the house, the light coming out from the window, and you see uh, Ka- uh, not Karis but uh, Marin coming out of the coming out of the taxi and 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 walking up to the house. An image that was used in like every single promotion of the film, and is still to this day uh, immediately recognized for this film. It's it really is an shot. amazing shot. It's a yeah. fantastic shot. Uh, you know what? I, because we're talking about it, let's, let's give credit where credit's due to the uh, cinematographer here. Uh, Owen Roisman and Billy Williams were the cinematographers for this, Williams, uh, for this film. So credit to those two guys. I'm not sure which one composed the shot, but it's an amazing, beautiful shot. Yep, and, and it's an iconic shot, too, that whenever you, you think of The Exorcist, that's the first thing you can think of is that shot. Yeah. Um, so we come in, uh, Marin's pretty much all business, or yeah, Marin's pretty much all business. He's like, he starts kind of telling him what to expect up there. Uh, don't listen to him. Uh, don't listen to the demon. The demon's going to lie. He's going to mess with your head. Uh, don't, don't let him. Um, and you know, it's time to, it's time to go into action. Yep. And, uh, I mean, he tells him too, like, you know, the demon will lie. You don't listen to his lies, but what he'll try to do, they'll try to sprinkle in some truth with its lies. It's all a psychological ploy. Like, don't listen. And then that's when the, they step in, and then they get the show on the road. <laughs> yeah, and at, at this point, um, it, it really is just uh, – there's not much to talk about here. It's just uh, we get a, a good deal of the special effects that the movie's famous for, like the uh, Reagan levitating off the bed, more puke uh, in the people's faces, um, you know <laughs> – uh, uh, the uh, the slashing of uh, of of the of the skin whenever they they pour the holy water on her, uh, and then obviously the the the, the infamous line uh, uh, the power of Christ, power of compels, Christ you. compels you yeah one of the more, one of the more famous lines I think in in horror cinema and it, it, I think everyone knows that line yeah <laughs> it's been parodied so many times in the years since that movie but it is a great line though and then the scene that it actually takes place in is really powerful and it really like at this point you're just entranced by everything that's going on in the movie and it it comes at a at a really uh at the perfect time i think yeah um and what i what i also appreciate about this is that it like it happens in rounds right so they they have the first encounter and they're they're in there and they're trying to get uh they're trying to you know they go in there and kind of hit her with a couple shots first and then she pukes on the what did they call that sash that the priest wears that purple, like thing. the purple robe thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, she pukes on that thing, so they they kind of go away, they wash it off, and they come back for like round two, right? Uh, and and then they do a little more of an exorcism, but then they have to take a break because of uh, Marin's heart, right? So it's like back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and, and there's a shot where uh, we see Marin like from up from below, and he's like raising his feast, uh, his fist, and like just you know. Be gone, demon! You know all that stuff. Yeah, fantastic scene. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of great stuff here, and uh, I believe what is it like the third or fourth go around that uh, uh, Marin has to uh, tell Karis to leave because of the stuff that uh, the demon's saying. Right, because he's uh, because he's going. Why you do this to me, Jimmy? <laughs> Why you leave me to die, Dimmy, bro, <laughs> Dimmy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I couldn't help. Uh, I laughed every time I heard that name. But you it's such a weird Dibby. name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's he's obviously way too affected by it. Marin Marin, you know, tosses him out of the room, and he's kind of left alone with him. 
which of course is a bad idea. Which is a bad idea. <laughs> uh, bad idea for a guy who with a heart problem. Uh, so Karis recovers a bit, goes back in, and he finds that uh, uh, Marin is now dead. Yep, he tries to revive him, and uh, he's, uh, obviously he's had a heart attack. Tries to bring him back to no avail, so Marin is dead, and he, he sees uh, the demon on the bed kind of giggling at him and just toying with him at what he's done. And then so that's is, when Karis loses his mind. He just loses his mind, grabs grabs Reagan, starts screaming, like basically beating the crap out of her and saying, take me, take me. And finally the, 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 uh, the demon enters his body, and with without a second thought, before letting it really take over, he jumps out the window, down the steps, breaking his neck at the at the bottom of the stairs, killing himself and presumably the demon in the process. At, well, I think I don't think he died right away because Father died. That's true. To do that's the true. Last he, right. He's yeah. not dead right away. You're right, but he's definitely but he's, he, messed. he's practically he's messed up. He, yeah, he's uh, practically dead. Uh, so at this point, we look at, at he, you know, we see his body at the bottom of the steps. Blood is all around them. Kinderman, who is coming back for whatever reason, the he runs up and he sees the the mess of, the, of what's going on here. Uh, so and so now he's kind of still involved with the case. Uh, and, and we see Reagan's face. She's back to normal. She's freaking out. She's crying. Uh, and you know, Chris is holding her. And this is that was the big climax of the movie. That's that's where, okay, she's safe now, right? That's that's what it is, you know. Um, and like you said, we see his friend, um, I forget his name. Uh, Father Dyer. Father Dyer. And I believe he w- that actor was actually a, a priest, right? Yeah, uh, Father O'Malley, I think. William O'Malley, I think, was his name. Yeah, you're right. I'm looking at the cast list. Father William and O'Malley. And he was one of the technical advisors. Yeah, too. so yeah. so uh, he, uh, <laughs> again, another Billy Friedkin move. Um not trusting oh, a, this... Billy, a Billy Friedman dick move. Yeah, yeah. Not, not not trusting that the O'Malley was giving the not wanting getting the right performance out of him during the the uh, last right scene when when he's he he's like, do you trust me? And he goes, yes. And he slaps him across the face uh, to get him to kind of be a little more shocked. And uh, and then that's the kind of scene he used to to get him to be a little more authentic in his. Uh, in how upset he was at the very end of the film, and and that really peeved off a lot of the the crew who were Catholics, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then so at this point, uh, Father Dyer is you know that's when he takes his like he says, "Do you want to make a confession?" And you know he kind of squeezes his hand and he starts giving him his his last rites there at the end. Yeah, really powerful stuff, man. It's just yeah. It, what a way! What a way to! It's not the end of the movie just yet, but it's like that's that's the big climax, that's the big payoff, and man, it just it just tugs at the emotional gut there. And it's such a it is really a good um it's such a great story arc for um for Karis because he starts the movie crisis of faith. He he's not um he he's losing his faith in God and and and, and Catholicism. He doesn't even like he, he's kind of almost turning into a skeptic. And then by the end of the film, he has now gone. He's found his faith again, and he is he sacrifices himself by allowing the devil himself into his body to get away from it to to save the life of a little girl, and then ends up killing himself to, for the greater good. So, right, uh, if I, like that's a great character arc for him. Definitely, yeah. Well, great payoff. Um. So then we get our epilogue. Uh, you know, apparently Chris is done with her movie. They're starting to pack up the house. 
um, and they're gonna leave. Uh, they're gonna leave for now, and um, uh, we see Father Dyer kind of walk up, and you know they kind of have a little goodbye because uh, they were because Father Dyer was friends with with uh, with Chris Mignol. That's how they got. That was the connection to Karis, <clears throat> and uh, she she gives him um, he gives her like a like a pendant that uh, Karis had earlier in the film, um, and. Uh, Whenever Linda Blair, sorry, not Linda Blair, whenever Reagan comes out and she sees the, the priest collar, she kind of has this instinctual response to give him a hug and kiss him. Uh, even though she doesn't remember anything, she has this, this she has like a compulsion to like thank uh, this man, this man who she's like uh, associating with saving her life. Right. And then they drive off, and the the film kind of uh, the ends with the titular music, the very creepy tubular bells that that uh, are very uh, familiar to, uh, to to movie fans, and and that's The Exorcist. Um, interestingly, though, the the film has another ending uh, if you watch the extended cut. Um, if you watch the extended cut, it actually goes on after that. Um, and, uh, Kinderman comes back and the, he has kind of a little, uh, moment with, uh, Father Dyer at the end and they both walk off together. Yeah. Well, it kind of, uh, alludes to an earlier scene, uh, the earlier scene when Kinderman was talking to Karis and he was talking about how I got, I got movie passes, Yeah, you know, and he tries to get him to go to a movie with them. Yeah. And he does it again with this one. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, um, I think it was it was Othello in the uh, in the original scene, and then in the in this one with uh, with Dyer, I think it was Withering Heights. Yeah, right. And he says like with Groucho Marx and something to somebody else. Yeah, and uh, Catherine Hepburn. I think and Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, I, I like the original ending better, where it just kind of ends after they drive away. I didn't really. I mean, it's a it's it's a fun little scene, but it's it's not really. I don't know. It's not really necessary. It, yeah, it, it it kind of like. Uh, it kind of, it, it's kind of a, it's a weird mood killer because like the original ending has like you know just the father dies staring at the stairs, the music comes on and then he leaves. Right. You know, the 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 conversation that Kinderman has with Dyer, I mean that he's trying to make buddy buddy with him, it seems so out of place for like for the mood that is trying to set there. You know, right. Um, the other kind of big, uh, I mean the the extended director's cut. Uh, if you watch it, uh, it, it has a bunch of stuff added to it. Mostly, it's like a couple new effects, a couple like kind of inconsequential scenes. But the big ones are the ending and the spider walk. Um, the spider walk, which was um, originally cut for two reasons: one, uh, Friedkin just didn't like its placement in the film, and two, it just uh, the effect didn't look good because you could still see the wires. Um, so they, so they, you know, with I think they. Uh, it was like in 2000, whenever they released this in theaters, um, they, you know, erased the wires digitally. And I think they added uh, some blood coming out of her mouth and stuff. And they put that back into the film. Yeah. And it's uh, quite the, uh, quite the visual, uh, quite the visual mind. You know what? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's an awesome shot. Don't get me wrong. I like it. But I don't need it in the movie. It does. It's not necessary. It's. I can see why it was cut, and because the placement in the in when it goes back into the film, it's before the scene uh, with the crucifix, um, where where you know that everything has gone totally supernatural, right? 
Right. So by putting that before that scene, you kind of ruin the everything has a natural explanation um, and with that scene. And it kind of interrupts the flow of things. So I'm glad that it's not in, like in the, in the cut. Uh, I actually prefer the theatrical cut to the extended cut. Oh, I mean, if Bray Wyatt can do a natural spider walk, then I well, guess maybe that's the idea. Maybe it is still a natural thing. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, so this film, um, kind of a legendary hit. Uh, it was uh, a massive, massive hit. Uh, grossed 40, $441 million at the box office in 1973, which adjusted for inflation is $1.8 billion. Uh, and... Um, it had kind of, and it's funny if you go on YouTube, you can if you uh, I forget, and I think it's on the DVD extras too and the Blu-ray extras. But if you go on YouTube, you can find it too of like uh, news stations like interviewing people's reactions if they after they come out of the film. And it's, yes, those uh, are always fun to watch. And, and it's just like people literally passing out, literally got sick. People are just so disturbed by this movie. And you know, when I first saw it, and you know, ten fifteen years ago, I, I was disturbed by it. I can't, but at least I had the context of growing up with like R-rated movies and things like that that I'd seen before that so I wasn't as disturbed by it right but like these people had never seen anything like that before so I can I it, it was a huge cultural phenomenon yes yeah and uh I mean and that's what I alluded to earlier when I was talking about how you know the theaters were giving out the barf bags you know cuz I was I read that in an article and then I saw a few of the videos too that you're that you're alluding to with uh where they interview the people outside the theater and it, it really is it's, – it's like a – it's a great snapshot in time. So if anybody has time, definitely go check those out. Yeah, I, I kind of – it's one of those times where – you know, there are certain times when, you know, when I'm watching old movies where I kind of wish I could go back and kind of experience that film for the first time with audiences of the time, right? So like – and I think about this for, with a couple examples. Like I think about Empire Strikes Back. And I think about what the audience reaction must have been during the I Am Your Father reveal, right? Right. Or, uh, or um, like in The Wizard of Oz, whenever she, they go from black and white to color, uh, like that would, must have been super cool to, to see in the theater in like 1939, right? Right. Um, so, and this is kind of another one of those movies. Like I really want to just be – if I had a time machine, I would love to be in a movie theater when The Exorcist was showing to like a packed audience just to see their reaction because I think that would have been kind of fun. I actually had that thought, too, um, and, and I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show. We were talking about Alamo, but I was also there for the uh, – they did the double feature of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And after kind of being we were able to revisit that, and especially on the big screen for the first time, I kind of had that feeling, too. Like, you know, what, wonder what it was like in 1974, 72, whenever that movie came out, being there and watching it with audiences and seeing, like, how shocked they were at, at, at like, the, the violence. Even though it, it's toned down by today's standards. But, like, at the time, I'm sure, like, people, like, flipped out about it. And from what you – know, and the thing is with Texas Chainsaw, there is violence in the movie, but you imagine a lot of that violence. Yes. Like, there is blatant violence on camera, but a lot of it is implied. Like, you don't actually see some of it, too. So it right. is kind of the movie messing with you. Yes. Um, and speaking of, uh, Texas Chainsaw, so when you went to see it, um, did they, uh, how was the picture quality? Grainy, just like I like it. Okay, because... I think it was a 35 millimeter. All right, because the, I have the Blu-ray of, of, of the original, and it's, like, cleaned up and stuff, and it kind of loses something 
being it loses so it, clear, yeah. you know? Because it kind of is a movie that needs to be look kind of crappy, you know? Because the first time I experienced the movie was, like, on a VHS tape, but, which was, like, poor quality. And, it uh, like, those kind of, like, grind... I, I don't know if it's technically a grindhouse movie, but you know what I mean? Those kind of, like, grind grindhouse-y kind of 70s exploitation horror movies, they kind of With the need, burns, with the cigarette burns. Yeah, and they like kind of yeah. need a little, like, dirt to them. You know what I mean? So, like... I have the Blu-ray, but uh, but it's kind of like, yeah, it, it, it looks too pretty. Yeah, I agree. Like, I have that same Blu-ray, and, you know, it, it, it looks good. Like, the restoration is really good. It looks super clean and cut, but a movie like that really shouldn't look like that. And it should look the way it looks on the big screen in 35mm with all the, the spots and the cigarette burns and the cuts. Like, and maybe, that, 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 it adds to the mood. And maybe Toby Hooper, uh, rest his soul, um, would would disagree, but uh, maybe he would have wanted it to seem the best possible way it could be seen. But Maybe, uh, yeah. But for, for people who like grew up on that stuff, like you kind of almost want it to look dirty and I don't know. Anyway, I mean that was the whole. Uh, that was the whole. Um, one of the aspects that when the, when Tarantino and Rodriguez at Grindhouse that like they purposely like made the film like look crappy, and and because something like that kind of especially if it's a horror film, it adds to the mood. I think right, it absolutely does. Uh, because you know the other thing with especially with Chainsaw is that when I first saw it again, it was on tape and uh, VHS tape, you know, well worn copy. So like. You're not getting high definition, so when you're watching it, because things aren't clearly in focus uh, because of the graininess of the of, of the of the VHS tape, you don't necessarily see things coming at you. You know what I mean? So I, I think that make that gives it something. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, so The Exorcist uh, again, big, huge uh, box office hit, pop culture, pop culture uh, resonance. You know out. Uh, and it also uh, got uh, awards recognition. It was nominated for a lot of Oscars that year. Uh, so it's something I don't think would I don't think has happened in a while. A horror movie getting nominated like that. Like I think maybe Silence of the Lambs was the last time something probably like a that's horror the movie last one I was think. that accepted by the Academy. Um, but uh, you know it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Best Actress. Picture. Yeah, nominated for Best Picture, seventy uh, three. So that would have been the year that The Sting won, which is a good movie. Um, uh, best actress for Ellen Burstyn, best actor for Jason Miller, supporting actress for Linda Blair, and these are nominations, not wins. Uh, best director for Friedkin, also nominated for cinematography, art direction, and film editing. It did win two for writing and sound. Uh, those are p- two pretty well earned ones. Um, definitely uh, appeared on many AFI lists and uh, spawned a franchise, sort of. But none of them have ever really equaled the quality of the original. Um, I actually wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, one second. There are sequels. Oh, wait, you don't know that? It, I'm, I'm being sarcastic. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't acknowledge anything other than the first. All one. right. <laughs> uh, so I actually did some did some um, watch the part two and three in preparation for this uh, podcast. Um, I've heard I, this, and they were first time watches for both both of them. By the way. Um, I've heard of the infamous crappiness of, of part two. I was not prepared for how truly bad this movie is. <laughs> it's horrible. It's absolutely terrible. Um, it, I can't. I mean, it's it's embarrassing that they that they that they even put 
put an exorcist name on it. It takes place like several years later. Um, Linda Blair, you know, it has Linda Blair and Richard Burton uh, and and Louise Fletcher from What Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, and Burton like is overacting in Hammy. Uh, Louise Fletcher is phoning it in. Um, <laughs> and Linda Blair is in that Nothing kind but of a paycheck movie. Yeah, bro. Linda Blair is in that awkward stage of like not a kid anymore, not quite an adult, but kind of uncomfortably sexual. Um, you know, and it and it's I can't even go into how bad it is. It's really there's a there's a hypnosis machine that allows uh the priest played by Richard Burton to go into Linda uh, the Reagan McNeil's mind inception style. It's bad it's bad don't I, I don't make the mistake i did and and watch it out of curiosity because it's really bad um part three is better um it ignores part two like as if it didn't happen um good but it, but it adds stuff that's really odd it's not about a uh it's not about an exorcist at all even though it's called exorcist three it does still have to deal with demon it's about basically um a couple of things happen. One, Kinderman is not played by George C. Scott because uh, uh, I guess Lee, Lee J. Cobb was dead by that point. And he is, he's been buddies with Father Dyer for like the last 20 years and they like their buddies and they hang out together. Um, there's a new serial killer out and like, you know, killing people. And uh, it's, it's, it's doing it in the same style of like another serial killer from like 20 years ago that was never mentioned in the original movie, but now they're bringing it into canon like it matters. Um, and that kill- killer is played by Brad Dorif of uh, Child's Play fame. Yes, um, that's right. And uh, basically, I'm not going to spoil it here for, for everybody, but it, it's a bad movie, so don't watch it. Uh, basically, it's the demon that possessed the original serial killer is now possessing the body the body of Damian Karras, who didn't die at the end of Exorcist One, but um, was locked up in a insane asylum, and now um, is uh, possesses other geriatric patients to kill people by chopping off their heads. It's really stupid. Uh, it's really bad. Um, the only saving grace is the Brad, Brad Dorff's performance is actually really, uh, really good. Um, but it's there. It's just there's like literally like 15 minutes of him just talking to the screen and monologuing, and it's like, why is this in this movie? Um, <laughs> why is this? It happening? does have. I will give it credit. It has a really, really good jump scare in it that totally caught me by surprise. And if you, if you, um, if you YouTube Exorcist Three jump scare, it'll take you right to it. Um, and it's actually very effective. I did not see it coming. I mean, I knew something was going to happen, but I didn't know what. And it just comes out of nowhere. And it's very, it's very effective. Um, other than that, and the Brad Dorf performance, it's horrible. Um, George C. Scott is like gorging himself on scenery. Um, it's bad. Um, the other two movies are Exorcist: The Beginning and Dominion, a prequel to The Exorcist, which are technically kind of the same movie. I didn't watch these because they're not available on streaming anywhere. Um, but it's apparently Exorcist: The Beginning was one cut, and uh, this no, actually, the first technically movie that was made was Dominion. Um, but this, but the producers didn't like it, so they recut it, released Exorcist: The Beginning that bombed and then they a year later they threw out the original cut and called it dominion and that also bombed so uh it's it has like these two prequels that are both the same movie but re-edited 
That's crazy. <laughs> I've never seen those. Um, I, uh, out of curiosity, I did buy them on Amazon uh, DVD under the used section for one dollar. So uh, I should be awesome. getting those in, a, in a, about a week or so, and I'll, I'll report back later to see, tell you if they're any good. But uh, for if I can buy them for a dollar used, I don't. I don't. I, they're probably not great. So, uh, so we will revisit this in the next episode then. And then the other thing I did want to mention, the movie did inspire a naked gun slash airplane style parody in the form of the movie Repossessed. Uh, have you ever watched Repossessed? I've never seen it, but I've, I've been, that's on my bucket list. Um, I'm kind of sad about this movie. First of all, you can get it, you can buy it on, uh, on streaming. It's on iTunes for like $5. It's not an HD, and it's in 4 by 3 but you can Ugh. buy it for $5. Um, you know, I watched this movie a lot when I was like 10 or 11 years old and thought it was hilarious. And when I watch it with 37-year-old eyes, oh, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> it's really not funny. There's a couple of things that are kind of funny, but there's some jokes that when they... Because first of all, Linda Blair comes back to, to play the, the possessed person's uh, role again. She's not called Reagan, but she's just, uh, a person that was possessed er- in another uh, earlier in her life. And she's like a full-grown woman. Leslie Nielsen plays the Father Marin type, um, and he's got a bad heart and everything. And um, the, the, the exorcism at the end is like... Uh, 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 aired on broadcast television it's all wacky um it, the jokes fall really flat the only really funny thing is uh during the exorcism all of a sudden out of nowhere mean gene Okerlund and jesse ventura start doing commentary uh on the exorcism <laughs> and they'll cut back and forth to like their commentary and there's a line in there that I can't believe, because this is 1990, and given what was going on with the WWF at the time, I can't believe that Vince McMahon allow, like, was okay with this. But, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Reagan McNeil character said something about uh, steroids or something about that, and they cut to Mean Gene and Jesse again. And Mean Gene says, hey, now... Uh, steroids aren't used in wrestling anymore and then there's a pause and jesse ventura goes or any less and they cut back to the movie i'm like i can't believe they did that joke um it it, they're actually kind of funny their bit is kind of funny but i think it's only funny to me because i'm a wrestling fan and you know and i I got a nostalgia kick out of it but i don't know how funny it actually is if you're not a wrestling fan um it's not a funny movie it really it's it's an interesting it's really short it's like 90 minutes if you want to watch it and pay the five bucks to watch it, you know, go for it. But it's not funny anymore. Like, I thought it was funny at 10 years old, but it's it's not funny as a 37-year-old man. It just really isn't. Interesting. I mean, I have been wanting to watch it for a while because I've heard a lot about it. So I'll probably still check it out. And five bucks, I mean, you can't really beat that on iTunes. So Yeah, it, it's, you know, it, it, if you're bored, go for it. But it's interesting to see it as like a double feature. But it's yeah, some of the jokes are really bad. It's it, it, and here and here's why I think it doesn't work, is because Leslie Nielsen, like he's funny when he's not being hammy, like when he's being serious, like an airplane and naked gun, he's being serious in a comedy situation, and that makes it funny, right? Right. But in this, he's being really like hammy and like goof, like mugging at the camera and doing all sorts of stuff. He's talking in like a Swedish accent and stuff. It's it's not good. Hmm. 
that sounds depressing. <laughs> yeah, but that's a uh, that is uh that is so I would not recommend that. Um, I do recommend a few films uh, out of the era though. Two by um, two by Friedkin and one other possession, not possession, but kind of devil inspired movie. Uh, the Friedkin movies I would recommend are The French Connection, which we talked about earlier, um, and uh, Sorcerer. Uh, which is a famous flop of his, but it's an excellent movie with uh, Roy Schneider. Have you ever seen Sorcerer? I have not seen it. Do you know what? Do you, have you heard of it? Uh, I have. So, for those who don't know, Sorcerer is a remake of a 1950s movie called The Wages of Fear, which is about uh, a bunch of kind of outcasts in like the uh, Latin America that get this job to transport nitroglycerin and dynamite across very rocky terrain throughout the jungle and if even like if it even shakes a little bit everything will blow up but there's a really good payday involved so all these desperate men like sign up to do this um that's what the movie's about it's a remake and it's a really it's one of the rare exceptions where the remake is almost or just as good as the original uh, I would highly recommend Sorcerer before I recommend The French Connection because French Connection gets a lot of love. People, A lot of people have already seen it. I would recommend Sorcerer first because it's something that not a lot of people have seen and it's really, really freaking good. Uh, and the other one kind of more uh, occult or devil-inspired I would recommend is Rosemary's Baby. They're kind of Halloween. Great pick. one. Um, not about possession, really, but it's certainly about the devil. Um, and one of the one of the better horror, one of the best horror movies ever. Do you have any recommendations based on The Exorcist? Uh, don't do the sequels. Like, like, like I said, <laughs> like, and like you kind of already uh, talked about. Like, I, I don't. It, there's only one movie called The Exorcist. Everything else doesn't exist. Um, uh, I, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything. I mean, you picked some really good ones, though. So I think we're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Um, so The Exorcist is available on pretty much any streaming platform where you can buy or rent films digitally. It's also on uh, physical media. I have the um, – I don't know if it's the anniversary edition, but it has the uh, extended cut and the original cut in the same box. In the con- it's a digibook, and it has like a, a cool little like book inside of it that's called The, Fried- the Friedkin Connection. Uh, yes. like a memoir. Um, it's it's a pretty decent set. Um, if you want, if you're a fan of physical media, I would recommend that one. Um, but you can also buy both versions uh, digitally uh, online at like in, you know on uh, your normal streaming platforms. Um, so now it's time for our next movie. Um, and let me bust out the random movie generator. It took a break for this month since we were on Halloween, but now it's going to come back for, uh, since we're going to go back to more normal movies. Uh, we'll probably take another break from it in December for our Christmas theme movie. I haven't decided what that's going to be yet, but, um, for now, before then, we're, we're going to bust out the random movie generator. So, all right, let's, uh, let's hit the button and see what happens. Okay, so it's spitting this out, and it is <laughs> okay. This is kind of the opposite of what we just talked about, um, and it's actually a movie I, I just mentioned like not like ten minutes ago. Our next movie will be The Wizard of Oz. Nice. All right. <laughs> I mean, this is a way. This is way counter programming to The Exorcist. Most definitely. Uh, but, uh, but that'll be our next film. Is the we, we get Oz. to bust out a lot of classic lines here too. Yeah. Uh, so uh, be on the lookout for that. EssentialFilmsPodcast.com is the uh, website where uh, we post all the episodes and as well as some uh, 
some blogs and some uh, articles and some countdown lists and all sorts of stuff. Uh, EssentialFilmsPodcast at gmail.com if you want to send me a message over email. Uh, you can like the Essential Films on Facebook, and you can follow at Essential Films on Twitter. Uh, and also, I just started a YouTube channel. Uh, there's only one video up right now. It's a video that I edited together called The History of Horror. And it's just uh, some uh, some cool horror images set to some music by John Carpenter. Uh, so please check that out. Please subscribe to that channel. I plan on putting some more content up there, including some old podcast episodes and uh, and just some other maybe kind of ramblings. Um, and uh, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And uh, before I uh, before we go, I'd also like to take it over to you uh, we, to talk about our Force Perspective show, which reached an epic milestone recently. Yes, we have hit 100 episodes. And that episode is actually, as of this uh, recording, it is in the editing phase right now because it's probably the biggest episode we've ever done. So a lot's going to go into it. And right now, I would say we're about maybe like 60%, 70% done on the editing. Um, so I'm expecting this to go up uh, the first weekend of November will be uh, the, the target date to to launch it. So uh, we're definitely excited about that, and I can't wait to unleash that upon uh, upon the masses. That's going to be awesome. Awesome. And where can we find uh, find you on social media? Well, you can find me on Twitter at SportsGuy515, and you can also follow for perspective on Twitter at FP Movie Podcast. All right. So that'll about do it for uh, for us this week. Uh, thank you for listening to our special Halloween episode. And um, join us next time for The Wizard of Oz. Uh, but until then, let the power of Christ compel you.